Kia ora, good morning everybody. Uh, well, today it's uh, my pleasure to help us celebrate 30 years of ministry in New Zealand for David and Linda Cowie. David and Linda have been part of our church since the very beginning, the very earliest of days, and you'll hear a little bit more about that story. So David and Linda are over here, they're going to come up in a few moments, but um, just to give you an insight into what it is that they have done over the 30 years that they've been ministering in New Zealand, not the 19 years that preceded that, but in New Zealand, we've got a, a few minutes of video clip that will hopefully piece together some images of what it is that they have been doing. So let's roll that video. There's nothing more satisfying than to, uh, to come out on a ship like this. It's adventurous. They get to see new nations, new peoples, but also to help other people can meet a deep need in their own lives as well. It's been 30 years since David Cowie and John Brignall began the work of Marine Reach. Neither of these men could have possibly dreamed of the impact the ministry would have on so many. Over one million men, women and children have received medical care in 18 nations across the South Pacific and Southeast Asia. In 1990, the Pacific Ruby was given to the ministry. After undergoing dry docking in Taranga, she sailed for Norfolk Island on her maiden voyage. She had a cruising range of 9,000 miles. Under the experienced leadership of Captain Laurie Collins, the crew battled storms but made it to and from Norfolk Island with great courage and determination. In 1991, the Pacific Ruby's second trip was to the Cook Islands. At 32 metres long and with the capability of carrying 32 people, she sailed all the way to Bacan Island, one of the most remote countries in the Pacific. The arrival of the Island Mercy was extremely memorable. In 1994, the ship had been donated to Marine Reach by Mercy Ships and after a two-month maintenance period in Florida, the vessel was sailed through the Panama Canal and then on to New Zealand via Tonga. Work began immediately to upgrade the vessel to 80 berths, with a number of officers on board turned into cabins. Hundreds of young people from church groups and YWAM teams helped with the endless chipping and painting, turning the ship into an attractive vessel. It was time to introduce our new ship, the Island Mercy, to the New Zealand public. In April, the ship embarked on a 12-port tour around New Zealand. This was a great opportunity for the public to take a closer look at the vessel and to meet and get to know the crew and staff. In July 1997, the Island Mercy returned to Papua New Guinea for the third time. All supplies came by plane or boat, and it was by boat that the majority of men and women came for medical care. This trip was especially significant as it was the first time we started doing cataract surgeries on board our vessel. The stories of patients who received their sight was deeply moving, like Peter who after travelling by canoe for three days with his son, received his surgery and saw his son for the first time. In 2001, the Pacific Link was purchased in the port of Taranga. The vessel was ideal for the small coastal communities and already had a partly developed place for a medical clinic. In 2003, the Marine Reach base in Fiji was pioneered. A year later, in 2004, an Australian couple gifted a truck to start our mobile ministry. Between 2002 and 2019, we have treated over 66,400 Fijian people through the ship and our mobile teams. In 2006, Captain Brian Sloan began to pursue a vision to see YWAM ships serving in Europe and the Mediterranean. In March 2007, YWAM England purchased the 42-metre Swedish training vessel, renaming her the Next Wave. After 21 years of operating ships across the Pacific, the Marine Reach Board felt it was time to establish a shore-based training centre for our new crew and staff. In 2013, Marine Reach purchased the Pacific Hope from Japan and the crew began to sail the ship to New Zealand where they started a refit. Our work in Vanuatu continued to grow and in 2015 land was bought to build a medical clinic and family care centre. In 2016 the Pacific Hope refit took place. Volunteers came from around the world to help out. An operating theatre was established on board that would accommodate both dental and optical surgeries. A large room was also set aside and set up as a lecture room for several discipleship training schools that were run on board. In 2017, the Pacific Hope's first port of call was Vanuatu. She was laden down with tons of medical and building supplies for the ministry's growing medical clinic. 
The Pacific Hope was kept very busy, visiting numerous island communities providing medical care and fresh water. With the growth of the work in Vanuatu and a large donation, in 2019 two new buildings were added to the medical clinic, consisting of a training centre and an accommodation block of five apartments, as well as a sports field. Our training facility in Taronga, New Zealand has also grown. We've seen thousands of students from all over the world walk through our doors and been transformed by God through one of our DTS programs. Not only have the number of students and staff grown, but our schools have grown too. As well as the discipleship training school that we run three times a year, we also run a school of primary healthcare and a discipleship Bible school which launched in July 2020. Well, let's, um, let's welcome the Cowies up. Grab a seat, Linda. David. Thanks, mate. It's great to have you here this morning. And um, what we just saw in that video there is just a very, very short um, way of introdu introducing uh, this wonderful couple and the work that they've been doing over the years. So um, just, to, just to help you put in the picture, as I mentioned earlier on, when BBC was uh, founded, Dave and Linda were part of that foundational group. So what you can immediately see is that mission was a part of our DNA right from the outset, John and Marion Brignall. So I'm Alison Cornwall, yes. who of course part of that uh, founding group under Tom. Tom and Aileen Frew, and Tom and Aileen happen to be here today. Hey Tom, hey. Aileen, good to see you guys. And uh, so it's a bit of a reunion going on today, isn't there? <laughs> Wonderful. So um, we just want to uh, get a little bit of insight into your lives this morning, what it is that uh, purposed you to do what it is that you've done. Um, so let's start with how you met. David's a sky from... Central Otago-ish, and uh, ish, and Linda was <laughs> California-ish, um, ish, sort of. So, how is it that you two met? Well, I was um, uh, sitting in the airport in Nairobi, Kenya, yep. and this team uh, flew in from the states, and this really smoking hot blonde started walking <laughs> towards me, and I thought, "Yep, this is a possibility." So, we. <laughs> We uh, got to know one another, but she was away out of my league, you know, uh, runner-up homecoming queen at her university, and uh, uh, honours degree in science, you know, I'm a country boy from in the middle of um, South Otago, you know, left home when I was 16, joined the army, I was not exactly the catch of the year, but <laughs> I figured that it's worth a try, and blow me down, she went for it. So, so uh... yeah. So great faith has been your, your, well, yeah, yeah. your yeah. Leading, leading, uh, leading edge. Yeah, it's always worth a try, you know. <laughs> I love it. Well, it seems to have worked out so yeah, far. Yeah, it, yeah, it's good. That was 50 years ago. There you go. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, what I know is that three days after you got married, you went on mission. Can you tell me, obviously, um, that means that mission's essentially the DNA that you share as a married couple. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. And Linda, you were raised on the mission field, in a sense. Can you explain to us a little bit of that? Yes, my parents were missionaries in Colombia, South America, so I was born there. And uh, so their heart for missions just got infiltrated into my brother, sister, and myself. Yeah. And uh, we just love missions and a heart for the lost. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, I remember this uh, unusual trait that you've got because of being raised in Colombia, is if you ever have soup, you always put a banana in it, don't you? <laughs> Yes, how did you know that? Well, just remember these important things. Um, That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, it was bewildering to have soup with you one day and watch you chop up a banana and put it in the soup. I was like, oh, mm. okay. That's, how, Maybe, they, yeah, that's how they serve it. Yes. Bowl of soup, banana, there. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Mm. You guys didn't know that, did you? It's amazing what you learn at church, eh? Incredible. <laughs> you thought you'd come out for that. Okay, um, so you arrived in New Zealand, um, but you'd had 19 years of ministry together prior to landing here. You didn't just appear. So what was it that led you to build up to coming to New Zealand? Well, we um, were pioneers, as, yeah. as you've mentioned. And uh, so after getting married, we pioneered uh, YWAM England, another yeah. couple. And then we went off to Thailand, and that was quite an adventure to pioneer yeah. a base there. Okay. Uh, then we went to Hawaii to help pioneer the University of the Nations. And Kona. And yep. Kona, Hawaii. 
And then we went to New York City to pioneer a base there. Wow. And uh, from there, we uh, came back. back to Hawaii, and it was there that we heard about this little ship in the harbor. Because we'd been carrying a vision for a ship for 19 years. Yeah. 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 So, um, so it took 19 years for that to become real. That's a, that's a long time to carry a vision, It isn't? is. But I remember through the years, David, saying, if we're ever going to have a, sh a ship, Linda... It's going to have to be a miracle. Yeah. It, you know, we don't have a million dollars to buy it. So, uh, so. So, tell us how the miracle happened then. Tell, explain oh, how you got with the ship. Oh, my goodness. So, we got a, a phone call from New Zealand uh, to say there was a little ship in the Tauranga Harbor. John Brignall had already been praying that we would come and be involved. So, to cut a long story short, we actually moved from Hawaii uh, over here. And then the owners changed their mind and said, uh, we're not going to give it away anymore. It's, uh, it's for sale for a million dollars. So you wrote out a check, right? <laughs> really. Uh, so then we said, no, we can't do that. We're going, God, what, what is this? Yeah. We were being tested. Sure. So a few days later, they rang up again, half a million. Okay. A few days later, when we had said no, a few days later, they rang quarter of a million. Then we checked our bank account, $27. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're on the way. We were on the way. And, uh, and uh, it did happen September 21st of 1990. We were given the vessel. Amazing. Along with all of its bills. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we were tested again to believe God for the, what seemed impossible. Yeah. So you had all these bills. You needed mm -hmm. a crew. Yeah. You needed fuel. Yep. You needed all the maritime tickets and all those things that go with it. That must have seemed like an enormous mountain in front of you. You know, I think what helped was we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's yeah. always helpful. Yeah, sometimes faith we knew and we, go together, don't they? If we knew it was ahead of us, we probably would have quit, you know? <laughs> so yeah. we just pushed ahead in faith on a day-by-day -day yeah. basis. Day-by-day. -day. And made lots of mistakes. Yeah. But you learn by your mistakes, sure. not by your successes. So over the years, we learned a lot, but we had to just push ahead. Yeah, now look, one of the interesting things I didn't mention the other day, uh, sorry, earlier on this morning was, um, David, when it comes to sailing, you're not a sailor, are you? No. You know, so what's your response to a choppy sea? Oh, <laughs> what's my response? Over the rail at the back. Yeah. Throwing up, that's my response. So why would God call you to be doing something that is obviously outside of your comfort zone. Why would God call me a twisted sense of humor? I was thinking God's part. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, that's not who I am. You know, yeah. I'm not a seafarer. Yeah. But I think God has a sense of humor. Yeah. And uh, um, that was a price you pay. And yeah. if you want to be successful, mm. there will be a price to pay. Yeah. With your, successful with your vision, there will be a price to pay. End of story. So, that was, so in the moment that you're succeeding... When that ship leaves the harbour, you're sick as a dog. Yeah, no, I get out in the waves. I'm all right. Yeah, I'm about in the middle. So once it starts rolling a bit, yeah, I'm down in my cabin, lying on my back, groaning. Yeah. And we called it dungeon fever. Right? Well, we would turn the lights off and lie there for days at a time until yeah. someone came and saved you. That's yeah. how it worked. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I experienced the same thing when you graciously took Makata and I on a trip I to Papua New Guinea. Yeah. yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Hey, um... What is it, what sort of, when you talk about opposition or uh, tension that you face, what is it that you're experiencing when you, how do you put a bit of description to those words? What does that look like when you're facing opposition? I think there's a difference between testing and between opposition. Mm -hmm. So God allows the testing to stretch us, to grow us, to really come back to his word. Are you sure you said this, God? and to just put a resilience and perseverance into us. During the opposition, it becomes very obvious, this, we need to do some battle. Right. So yeah. in the day of adversity, we don't want to faint. Mm. We want to be strong. And so uh, through a lot of prayer and intercession, I'm looking around here, seeing intercessors that have stood with us over the years, um, and, and some spiritual warfare. Yeah. Um, we have persevered and gotten through some very, very uh, dangerous times, some difficult times. 
um, challenging times, like on our maiden voyage with the Pacific Ruby. There was fire, flood, uh, the steering cable broke, and it was all in the middle of a cyclone. But uh, one of our crew members that was trying to fix things, he, he actually saw an angel in the lobby of the ship. Wow. A standing, a man, a very tall man in, in a white robe. And he, wow. he wondered who that was, um, but he was busy trying to fix things in, in a very dangerous situation. And afterwards, it was like, oh, yeah, Jesus, you were with us. Mm, or you so sent your right. angels to be there right with us in the midst of danger. Yeah. So... You, you, you headed off into the Pacific. Um, what's it like when you turn up to a Pacific island that's got relatively primitive medical care or uh, primitive society in some cases? What's, what's the response like from the locals? Usually the response is uh, a great sense of gratefulness yeah. and appreciation. But as I mentioned earlier, there's that importance of how you approach a nation. We've th- been through 18 nations. Yeah. And if you go into the nation with the heart to serve and go in low in yeah. humility, then that nation will open up to you, and that's yeah. the way to reach a nation. But if you go into it with preconceived ideas, then, then uh, you'll find barriers quickly come up, and, mm. and there are problems, as, uh, as I mentioned uh, before in the situation when Hurricane uh, Cyclone Pam devastated Vanuatu several yeah. years ago. Remember that? Yeah. Um, all the big players, all the big uh, NGOs, all the big humanitarian organizations flooded in. And uh, we arrived in our little ship, <laughs> yeah. a few medical teams, the medical supplies. And uh, Captain Jesse Mesa went to meet with the Prime Minister. And he sat down to the Prime Minister and he said, um, Sir, how can we serve you? Yeah. What can we do for you? What, yeah. what, what is it that, we, what need can we meet? The Prime Minister looked at him and said, you know, in the last month I've had dozens of these NGOs come into my office and not one of them has said to me, how can I serve you? They all have said to me, this is what we've come to do and this is what we're going to do. Wow. Yeah. So that it's so important to, to take a nation is to go in understanding that these people are bright, intelligent yeah. people. And uh, if you, if you t- take that little old lady that's walking down a dirt road in Vanuatu with a pile of sticks on her back, and you can see that often. And if you go and take the pile of sticks off that lady's back and you sit down with her and begin to talk to her, she will come alive Mm. with her own dreams and visions and ideas. And she will turn out to be a very intelligent individual. But the economic situation and corrupt government keeps her suppressed in, in poverty. But it breaks my heart because these people are very bright, very intelligent, Mm. and given the chance, they will blossom. Exactly. I can remember the thought comes to me, David, of you saying time's gone into schools, and you talk to the the teachers and say, can I see all of your naughty kids? Can I take them for an eye test? And invariably, a whole heap of them have got real bad eye troubles, and therefore they're sitting in the back class unable to participate in the lessons. Exactly. Can, or hearing yeah. problems. Right. And they think they're disobedient kids. Oh, they just can't hear. Yeah. And it, yeah. So the, the ministry hasn't always been about ships only um, because we've seen in the Philippines the beginning of a, a, a crisis health centre for children um, called Ruel. And it's, tr- it's rolled into becoming an orphanage in three centres now. How did, how did that start? How did the ministry of Ruel start? We had our ship in Eastern Samoa, the Pacific, no, the Island Mercy. Yeah. And I visited the local hospital with the governor and his wife. I know, I think it was just his wife. We did a tour of the hospital and we found this little boy. He was just on this hard uh, steel bed in very poor condition. And they just had a saline solution in him because he couldn't afford anything else. And he was dying and uh, malnutrition and, and cleft lip and palate, so he couldn't eat well. And that started us on a journey to help him. And that grew into a foundation we called the Rowell Foundation because that was his name. And then Pauline Curtis-Smith, who's been an integral part of this church, stepped in and took the leadership of that and has done an amazing job building wow. the Rowell found up, yeah. Foundation up over the last 20 years. And now over a 1,000 children who received uh, uh, surgeries, hundreds have come through her, now three centers in the Philippines. Wow. She's one amazing lady yeah. in our real. I was looking over here a moment ago, seeing if they she's stayed gone on. She's now, I think. But she's, 
dabbing. They were here earlier on this morning. So um, from there, you've gone to Vanuatu. Um, what was it that led you to go there? Um, you mentioned a cyclone earlier on when the ship was up there. Um, you, you went, but you've stayed in some form. So what's, what's happening there? So we started off with a, um, a clinic and, uh, and really because we had a heart for the Tioma Valley where we're located. And uh, so as things progressed after the cyclone and all, we realized we needed to buy more land and actually uh, try to meet the, the four main felt needs of the nation. Spiritual transformation, medical, dental, uh, deal with the injustice toward women especially, mm. and then offer education. So for that, we needed a, a multi-purpose training building and as well as uh, uh, some flats to, to house our staff um, and a sports field, uh, the sports field, the, the, the Nakamal, which is like a folly. That is a wonderful ministry um, um, that one of our uh, staff have, uh, and the, he meets with young people, young men, in this knock them all and they build a fire and they talk about the things of life that's the kind of thing that okay. yeah, we're doing very culturally appropriate mm, and what they absolutely. talk about is obviously really important and very a christian important. conversation yeah. yeah yeah so um you've got the discipleship training center now operating it was also in orope mm. uh gideon's fields tied in with all of that how many how many students would you think have been through your discipleship training schools over the years that you've run them? Well, when you count the students that were on the ship yeah. um, before we even had a building up here at, at Oropi, and then those that have gone through there, I would say over approximately over 2,000 maybe. Amazing. We haven't kept real close track, yeah. but they are vibrant. It's young people that keep us young at heart. Yeah. Oh, we, sure. we have a few yeah. staff at the back table um, today, but um, we're offering some courses. Uh, now and a bit different from uh, our normal DTS. So there's a, a course called Foundations um, Internship, and the byline is um, Discovering the Kingdom that Cannot Be Shaken. So it's a four-week course, and it's, it's fantastic for someone who's looking for something to do and just get a further foundation uh, in, the, in the summertime now. Fantastic. Yeah. David, Linda, when I... When I um when I meet with you, um, hear about you, observe you, um, there are many different qualities that I see in your lives. But um, what, what would you say has been a critical element that has allowed you to continue on over the decades? And uh, what would you encourage people with to work on, and say, some character issue, not issue, some character trait that you think is really vital for this work of mission and to push back the darkness and yeah, what, what is it, maybe you could tell us, tell tales on each other here. Linda, what would you say David's strengths are? Because of David's heart for uh, dealing with injustices, there's a passion that causes him to persevere yeah. and stand strong. Persevere and a tremendous gift of faith and compassion. Yeah, mercy. It's like a holy discontent. It's got to change. It's got to change. And if God is willing to use it, we're available. Yeah, wow. Yeah. David, what would you say Linda's greatest strength is? Yeah, kind of makes me smile, really. Um, we're really quite opposite. Um, you probably noticed that. Um, she um, often says, you know, if you want nice, talk to Linda. If you want something done, talk to me. So uh, I've spent the last... Uh, 50 years uh, charging ahead as a facilitator, yeah. passionately doing what I do. And Linda spent the last 50 years coming behind me, picking up the pieces. <laughs> so, so um, Praying and apologizing. And, oh, she does. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've spent uh, 50 years of marriage. She always apologizes for my jokes every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not anymore. I like them now. No, no. Oh, that's good. Uh, she still, <laughs> no, no, no. She still apologizes for my jokes. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, uh, so we made a really good team that way, and uh, um, as, as Linda said, she's she's amazing at relationships, yeah. and uh, and uh, bringing people together, and uh, keeping standards and um, yeah. values. 
uh, and uh, while I'm charging off somewhere, trying to achieve a goal somewhere. You sure. Know. But between the two of us, it seems to work. Yeah. We both had vision. Yeah, clearly yeah. You, you see a preferred future, you know, that you're trusting that is God's vision for you. Um, if I mention the word perseverance, would that resonate with you? Absolutely. Yeah. You have to have perseverance. If yeah. you had to bring it all down to a nutshell, yeah. is that you don't give up just because yeah. something hard comes along. Yeah. You yeah. persevere. But the perseverance, for me at least, has been based on um, having a clear word from God that yeah. becomes an anchor sure. and holds you steady in the yeah. times of storm. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So where to from here? Where to from here? Okay. Well, we've just finished 30 years. This, yeah. is, my, this is my ad. Uh, anybody, we've just done this manual. Uh, and um, it's all pictures, for those of you that don't like to read. And um, it's free, uh, out the back in the patio. And it's a, um, it's a photo manual of 30 years of uh, Ministry of Marine Reach with our ships across the Pacific. And there's also the book Against the Tide, which is our story out there at the back in the foyer. That is free for anybody who would like it. Uh, right now, we're looking now to, to uh, rebuild and to develop our training center here at RP. It's a beautiful center, and uh, we're looking to extend those courses, extend those classes, extend the training to bring young people in from New Zealand now that the borders are closed, that when they're open internationally, to train them for missions. Yeah. And uh, coupled with that is what we're doing on the South Pacific, which is anchored in Vanuatu, but affects uh, all the nations across the South Pacific before the... The border closed in Vanuatu. We had students from across the South Pacific coming into Vanuatu to do our discipleship training schools. So there's huge potential there to be a hub to train and send young people out into missions because they have a wonderful history. 150 years ago, young people from these nations went across the, the, the South Pacific dying in their droves been martyred on the beaches of the islands of the sea. And uh, while we don't want that to happen again, we do want to see these young people going back out into missions uh, as, as time is running short in the Pacific. Yeah. Well, I could, and I'm sure we all could, just tap into this story of yours and just really continue to value what it is that you've experienced and what, what is the legacy that you're leaving uh, for us in the lives of 2,000 people. Um, but when I... When I hear the word, or the number, a million, a million people whom you have served in the Pacific region, what does that do for you? you know, really, it's just a great sense of gratefulness to God for what he has done, because there is no way that any one of us claim credit for that. Obviously, mm. it's just a God thing, and he just managed that. Uh, over the years, and that includes those that came on the ship, those that are off the ship, those that are in our clinics, and, and mm. the whole kaleidoscope of ministry there. So um, a great it's a sense of, I mean, we're so humbled by the fact that we've mm. been allowed to partner with the Lord yeah. in what he's doing in the Pacific. Mm. Yeah. And Craig, I believe that um, BBC really... Uh, all of you have such a big part uh, in, in the reward. Even though it might be indirect, and actually some of you have been there, I think of Dr. Nigel, and, and I think of Tom and Aileen who believed yeah. in us from the very start. Um, Lee, I, I better not start mentioning everybody, but you know those that really partnered with us from the start in intercession and standing with us and have participated, Shelly Ann out there, with the kids from Bethlehem College. And um, it, it's just amazing. You need to receive the reward. And this church has partnered with us from the very start, and we are deeply, deeply grateful. Couldn't have done it without you, you and Michaela, too. Well, one thing about you guys that always intrigued me and impressed me is um, uh, you'd spend a week of doing ministry uh, wherever you might be, and yet you made it a commitment to always come to church on a Sunday. And, um, you know, there are, are times, I, and I look back over 
25 years of being um, pastor here since I took over from Tom and Aileen. And, uh, and I, I just stand in, in awe of that commitment that you've had to the local church and the local fellowship. So it's a two-way relationship that God has given us, and we've all been blessed as a result of that. So I just want to say thank you. Um, it's never enough. But um, we're really humbled to hear some of your story today. Um, friends, I'm just going to suggest to us that we do something that we don't normally do here in the life of BBC. Or we maybe should do it more often, but we just want to, to take up a love offering today. So uh, as you leave today, we're doing this to be able to bless David and Linda and the ministry that they are responsible for. So um, think about it, pray about it, and as you go, um, you can tap into the FPOS at the back, or maybe when you go home, you can jump online, and if you tap it online, go online and you put something on, uh, just put uh, Marine Reach or David and Linda on the, on the reference part there, and you can make, a, make an offering to the ministry. Um, we're just blessed, aren't we, to have people in the life of our church who are absolute pillars, absolute examples of what a, a life surrendered to God can look like. And uh, when you talk in terms of 2,000 young people who are out there now ministering, taking what you've taught them, taking what God's done in their lives and touching the nations. A million people who are grateful to God for the, the medical services that they received and, and, the other, and different other things that you've given them. Uh, it's, a, um, it's incredible. That's all I can say. So let me pray for you both. It's a privilege to do that. Lord, we stand in awe of you. And um, I'm reminded of that scripture that says, we should not despise the day of small beginnings. For Lord, we see with David and Linda what it has led to and how it is that you've multiplied uh, your work, your blessing through their influence. And Father, we can easily look back and celebrate, but today we want to look forward and continue to be envisioned by what it is that you have for each one of us. And for David and Linda, we pray that you would again give them that solid anchor, that word from the Lord that allows them to to focus in on what the next part of this journey is all about, what the next chapter is. Lord, we pray that you'd give them good health, that you'd give them strength, that you'd continue to open the eyes of their understanding to the next move that they have, that you'd resource them with every provision that they need to see this ministry continue to expand. And so, Father, in this next season ahead, we already celebrate your goodness because of the faithfulness that we see within your servants, David and Linda. And we just know, Lord, that when they put their hand to the plough, that they don't look back, that they do look forward, and they look forward to your blessing and you opening up the nations and seeing your word go out and changing and transforming the nations because of their obedience to you. And so we thank you, Lord, for this. We thank you for 30 years. We thank you for 19 years before that. We thank you for David and Linda. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this has got nothing to do with Diego Maradona, who passed away. This has got everything to do with an elder of ours called Dave Andrew. Ten years ago, ten years ago, and shows you how good his memory is, I was talking to Dave, and Dave is, um, his parents were missionaries in Argentina. And so Dave married an Argentinian woman, and he's been in New Zealand for the last decade. Dave is a passionate Argentinian rugby supporter. And uh, I made this foolish comment that uh, the day that the Argentinians beat the All Blacks, I'll wear an Argentinian rugby jersey in the pulpit. <laughs> so that happened two weeks ago. And um, trying to be true to uh, my word, here I am. I hope none of you are offended by this, but this is just the way it's going to be today only, as you can see. I did say to Dave on Friday, we'll make it double or nothing. He wouldn't have it on. He thought he had already was, was winning and he wasn't going to take it any further. So anyway, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to segue from this wonderful conversation we've had with the Cowies uh, to 1 Corinthians in the latter part of chapter 15. And uh, what I want to do here is just uh, segue through because this photo here is a photo of the crew of 
the first YWAM mercy ship called the Anastasis. Uh, you can see David over here. Hey, look at that. <laughs> David. Uh, John Brignall, who was uh, elder in our church, same time. Uh, he was um, uh, part of our church until his son-in-law became minister. He headed off there. Now, what's this guy's name here? Tom. Hey, at the back there? Yeah, Tom. Wasn't, was he the guy who was the city councillor in Taranga? No. Different guy. Okay. All right. Anyway, they were working on the ship Anastasis. And uh, this is the ship they repaired in the port of Piraeus in Athens. And the reason why I mentioned the word Anastasis is because that's what we're talking about today. Anastasis means literally resurrection. Resurrection. And so uh, it's a beautiful story of the ship that was resurrected from essentially going to be, uh, to be scrapped is the word, isn't it? Scrapped. Yeah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look this morning at what Paul has to say to the Corinthians about resurrection. So when we look at the story of the cross and the story of the resurrection, it's very easy to look at this, this important, vital part of the Lord's story for us. And we look at the cross and we say, as Jesus did, it is finished. It is finished. And there are different denominations throughout the world that really take uh, an extreme focus on the cross as being the finishing point of our faith. It is finished, Jesus said. It is finished. But the simple truth of it is this, is that without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, history would assign Jesus to be an unfortunate, misunderstood, loving, miraculous, wise guy, in the the wise guy category. And... um, That, of course, is not the story. However, for the Apostle Paul, he was competing against a mindset in the Corinthian church that was very dominant because it was a mindset of the culture, a mindset of the Greeks. Now, the technical term for this mindset is called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the accumulation of knowledge and the accumulation of knowledge concerning your spiritual life. And so what the Greeks did is that they... They, um, their theology or their philosophy was that the body and the spirit are divided. The body and the spirit, are, one is evil and one is good. The body is evil, the flesh is evil. Anything that is of the flesh is carnal and therefore it will be destroyed. And so therefore they lived a life in keeping with that philosophy They would attend to their spiritual needs, but they would also, as we found in the Corinthian church, they were more than happy to go off and spend time with prostitutes. Uh, Their bodies didn't matter because they figured that their bodies were going to be destroyed, burnt up, left behind when they receive some form of eternal life. Paul says that is not the case. Paul says that is not the case, and now he begins to argue for this position that the body created by God in the Garden of, 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 of Eden is good. And it's a complete contradiction to the way that the world sees the use of the body and the value of the body. So let's have a look at what Paul says. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Wow. You think Paul is really sincere about the fact that this resurrection is an event defined, recorded for us in history and has a huge impact. Paul is saying this, and let me summarize this with these main points. Paul is saying this. He says, if if there is no resurrection, then your faith is useless. 
your faith is useless. Uh, and, and worse, and this is really important in the day, especially to Jews, is that they would bear false witness about God. The very thing that Jesus was crucified for was ultimately by the Jews who suggested that he was a false witness about God. So he was a heretic, okay? And so he, by being a false witness, uh, deserved to die. So Paul is starting to outline all of these different things in a layered way to describe the implications of saying that there is no bodily resurrection. Then he says, if Christ has not been raised, um, sorry, if there's no resurrection, then Christ himself has not been raised. And this is, this is really important to see because if we are left with somebody who has been crucified on a cross, we are left wondering as to whether their, um, their, their goals, their statements about who they were would be left basically in a question mark, wouldn't it? So when Jesus goes to the cross, uh, it would be very difficult for somebody to say, I think... I think he maybe maybe he maybe he died for us. Maybe he was sort of like a sacrifice. Well, maybe. I mean, he was a good guy. He was a miracle worker and all that. Maybe ah, oh, I don't know. Don't know really what to make of the fact that he died. But when he comes back to life, the whole story makes sense. The whole story becomes a complete picture of what it is that God has done through his son Jesus. So without a resurrection, you just get a good guy who had a bad day. You just get a good guy who was like thousands of other people uh, throughout history being inappropriately put to death. So the resurrection is where it all counts. And Paul says, without that resurrection, your faith is futile. Your faith is futile. And um, futile is from a, a Greek word that says, is called mateos, and it means that it's um, ineffective, it's purposeless, it is empty. It's empty. And one of the challenges that we face when we talk about the, uh, the, the story of Christ to our friends and our family and people who God asks us to share the story with is that we have to take people on the journey from the cross to the resurrection. Otherwise, all we get is a sad story of a good guy who died, a sad story of a good guy who was killed. Without the resurrection, there is nothing to summarize the story and therefore validate the work of the cross. Paul goes on to then talk in a pastoral sense to those who are um, worried about others who have already died being Christians. He said, those already dead are lost. If there's no resurrection... There is no eternal hope for anyone. Here on Thursday, we held a funeral uh, for Steve Noyes. Uh, he passed away quite quickly a um, couple of weeks, over a week ago. And uh, the thing about a funeral, a Christian funeral, is that we celebrate the person's life in light of the resurrection. In light of the resurrection, we know that there is hope because this world is not all that there is. This life is just the beginning. This life is just a shadow of what is to come. And as we get older, we sort of learn to live without a body, it seems, because your body just sort of dematerializes. And we look with great anticipation towards receiving a heavenly body, a new body, but definitely a body, definitely a body. And then finally, Paul just puts this whole thing in a big picture perspective. And he says, listen, if, we, if there's no resurrection, we're be, to be pitied. To be pitied. Because if there's no resurrection, we are sacrificing everything that we are, our identity, our personality, our future, for nothing. For nothing. And we think of this wonderful story we've just had a, a little insight into this morning with the Cowies. Well, that's what Paul is essentially referring to. Because in his own life, Paul was living a life of sacrifice. Many times he was beaten. Many times he was uh, overwhelmed by uh, the, the, the spiritual powers and principalities of this world. And he said, if there's no resurrection, then that is all for nothing. All for nothing. 
So what does a resurrection mean for us? What does resurrection mean for us? Well, let's take the understanding of resurrection and we take it to the very end of the gospel, Matthew's gospel, where Jesus said this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is our commandment, to go. That is our commandment, to go. Not only to go, but to go in the power of resurrection, in the power and the story of that resurrection. You see, what we do is we break out of an animistic or pagan mindset that has dominated history up until the time of Christ. We we fail to even see this within our Western world, but we are overwhelmed and dominated by this mindset of resurrection. Let me explain. Without the story of Christianity breaking into our world as it is, the world we would have been living in would have been one of a cyclical and seasonal one. Summer, autumn, winter, spring. Summer, autumn, winter, spring. And everything is cyclical. And so with our spiritual lives, what you sow and reap, if you sow sin, karma kicks in. And therefore you will ultimately reap what it is that you have sown. That's where we get a lot of these uh, different religions have a, a, a balancing um, set of scales that they're trying to offset with your sin and the end result of your sin, yin and yang, good and evil. All of these things are cyclical and seasonal by nature. But when Christ comes, when Christ comes, he breaks that cycle and he says no to death, no to sin. Sin can be forgiven, Uh, uh, mindsets can change, and we take a cycle of death and we turn it into new hope, we turn it into resurrection. Through the cross, we're forgiveness, and then through new hope because of the resurrection. And that is why we have a mindset in the Western world which says tomorrow will get better. Tomorrow we can change. Tomorrow we can lay aside the wrongs of the past and we can begin a new day. Tomorrow we can start something fresh and new, which is going to be better than the day before. Resurrection power is more than just the ability to say that we are going to receive eternal life. Resurrection mindset allows the kingdom of God to be planted within our society because every one of you here carries a hope for the future which is above and beyond the cyclical, seasonal karma that we are subject to if we don't actually accept this resurrection. People say, why is it that the Western world has led the advances of technology, of education, etc., etc., over the years. It's all because of the resurrection mindset that's been planted deep within us. See, without the resurrection, we're just left in despair. Without the resurrection, we're just left with karma. Without the resurrection, we're just left with a cycle of seasons of life and death, life and death. And so when we see resurrection... We see this, and this is how it outworks itself in our society. Because resurrection power means that we are empowered to preach and to bring life to the communities around us. It breaks the cycle of despair and introduces new hope. This is what David and Linda have been expressing over the Pacific over these last decades. It brings an understanding of who we are in God. Education, not just 2 plus 2 equals 4, but an education of who we are as people made in the image of God. People who have been given power to change because of the cross and the resurrection. The ability to say, I don't have to be the same person that I was yesterday. I can change. It it, it impacts all of our understanding of our humanities. You know, all of our social understanding of ourselves, our families. Dad doesn't have to beat the kids anymore. He can change. There's resurrection hope. Yeah? Our medicine. Because why? Because when we bring hope, when we bring an understanding, we are like Jesus to people who always looked after the poor and those who are unwell. It makes a huge difference to the way that we trade with people because of the hope that future is going to get better and we can expect God to be in the midst of us blessing each other and blessing people. It affects our politics. 
Oh God, help us in this one. But it affects our politics because without resurrection, you have no hope for the future. Every time we go and vote, we're declaring our hope for the future. Without resurrection, we'd have dictatorship. So resurrection is is more than our salvation personally. Resurrection has shaped the mindset of our world that we live in. And without resurrection, we wouldn't have had the interview we had today. We wouldn't have had the interview we had today. Because it's resurrection hope, it's resurrection power, it's resurrection trust and confidence that God is going to take what is and turn it into what isn't so that he might glorify himself. Whatever you might be working through at the moment, whatever challenges you might have, God wants you to have resurrection hope. Be it that you're unwell, be it that your circumstances are challenged, be it that your relationships are struggling, be it that you're you're feeling blue, down. All of that can be brought to the cross where your sins are forgiven and then we look to the resurrection. Then we look to the hope that, that is given to us. And so this morning, I just want you to hold on to this. I really want you to hold on to this because without the resurrection, the cross means nothing. Without hope for the future, all you're doing is going to live a cyclical life around and around and around. And sadly, some people do that. They might be 80 years old, but they've just lived their 20-year-old life 60 times. Their 20-year-old life 60 times. God calls us to more than that. God calls us to shape break, challenge, face up to, love in ways that are beyond our own human ability. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection power that you've been given. Let's stand for prayer. Father, in these, uh, in these times, we're very, very mindful of how it is that uh, the world is being shaped by forces, by mindsets that take us away from the the hope that you give us. There's a lot of despair. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of lies that tell us that uh, this is what we deserve and this is what we're going to get. But you, Lord, by virtue of your resurrection, you gave us eternal life and you broke that cyclical mindset and you told us that we have a future and a hope. You told us that we are to be born again. You told us, Lord, that we have the opportunity to be able to challenge the status quo and expect a greater result. Father, we, we so often walk in the shadow of the cross but not in the light of the resurrection. And so, Lord, help us on that journey. Help us to recognize what it is that you've given us. Help us to understand that the power of the resurrection is not just for when we die. It is for our everyday living. So, Father, challenge us. Change that mindset. Allow us to have hope for the future. Allow us to see beyond what it is that we see and allow us to have a vision, have faith, have confidence in what it is that you will lead us to. So for all of us, Lord, we we pray that we would have a revelation of your resurrection. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, thanks, Darren. Thanks, team. We've finished with this song.